preachers on a Sunday are going to hope for This is just vintage, vintage hope, right? <laughs> you know, we... <laughs> Keep it short. Wow. Is it going to stay this time? We need a laugh like this on a, on a Sunday like this. Most people would want a, you know, a very poignant or timely message. But when you are going to speak about tragedy, do you really want a tragedy to have just happened so that you can speak to it? No, not so much. I don't know where you guys were Monday morning, um, but I was driving to work and you know, just randomly listening to the, the radio, and I um, hear about what happened in Vegas. And it's just like completely and totally deflating. And we, you know, we've just experienced, and not even firsthand, right? But we've got family in Puerto Rico, we've got family in Houston, you know, maybe we're disconnected a little bit, or maybe we've just... <laughs> it was... Pebby, it was your bulletin. Right? Thank you, Mark. Um, but it's... it's it, I almost feel worn out by the amount of tragedy lately. You know, we've got just natural disasters going out at one, at one point, and then we've got um, just acts of pure evil, like what we saw in Vegas, right? Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm going to try to answer the question, how does God's love handle tragedy? Okay. Tom started this sermon series two or three weeks ago, where the first thing he took on was, how does God's love handle sin? Then he spoke last week about how um, God's love handles guilt, okay? And this week he is in, at Swanee in Murfreesboro, I think, close to Murfreesboro. I, it's, it's Swanee, the town and the college are the same. Okay, okay. So Sydney has done really well at school, his oldest daughter, and she is being awarded with a gown. And my understanding is that if a professor is late to class, 15 minutes, then Sydney will be able to lay her gown on the door and everybody gets out of class. But they only give this gown to the best students, so obviously Tom has never seen one. <laughs> right? I mean... Let's be honest, right? So he really wanted to go and, and be there. Annie, what do you think? Did your mom get one while she was at school? She did. They both did? So the standards are low? They were back then. There we go. There's the explanation. There, there we go. The long, by the time you've paid all that money, 
It's all about the money. Then they just give them to anybody. So when Tom was a fifth year senior, it was basically, okay. I, now I understand. Thank you for that enlightening understanding. So Tom started the series. That's where he is today. And that's what, um, that's what I'm going to try to do today. Now, when I'm answering that question, or, or at least trying to, I'm trying to envision my audience. And I'm trying to anticipate where you might be. And in my mind, when we're dealing with tragedy, we're usually in one of three places, okay? We're at a place where we're ready to have a conversation, maybe kind of a philosophical or a theological one about the nature of evil and, and what's really going on with tragedy. Or we're in the midst of tragedy, and the last thing you need are answers, or you're the friend of a person who's going through tragedy. So I'm going to try the Baptists get out for lunch. And, okay, so in the next like 25, 30 minutes, I'm going to try to answer that question for the three different places where someone could be. Does that make sense? Okay, everybody knows where we're going. That's important because sometimes I don't know where we're going. So first, let's handle the person that's ready to have a philosophical conversation. Maybe they have been watching YouTube videos about how atheists um, are attacking us because of our theism, and they're using this problem of evil, or they're pointing to specific instances of tragedy and saying, this doesn't make any sense. You say that God is all good. You say that God is all powerful but yet there's evil that doesn't compute, right? Maybe, um, maybe you're just struggling with it yourself. Like, how do I handle these two things? I really want to rest in God's sovereignty, but I also, I just see so much evil. I see so much chaos going on in the world. Um, so there are a couple of different things that we need to, to get straight right off, right? That our faith and our belief is completely and totally anchored in Jesus' death on the cross. It is because of that event that we can trust everything that Jesus says. If he defeated death on the cross and paid for our sins like he said he would, then he is God. And we can believe what he said, okay? And through the gospel writers, um, we have record of Jesus basically acknowledging the validity of all of our Old Testament books. So when people want to attack Christianity, the best thing that they can do is attack the resurrection, okay? But our apologists, the people that are Christians that apologize or argue for um, our faith know this, and so we have done, you know, just mountains of work on the legitimacy of the resurrection. But that's exactly where they should attack our belief system, right? But Jesus tells us um, that God is perfectly holy, okay? Um, and we will circle back to this, but if you guys go to Isaiah 6, Isaiah is looking into the throne room of God. And he sees the angels. And 
um, Isaiah 6, verse 3 says, And one called to another and said, so we've got one angel speaking to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So this idea of holiness is that God is perfect in every single one of his attributes. He is the most loving. He is the most kind. He is the most good, okay? And this is where even when we have questions that are unanswered, we can find peace and rest in God's holiness, okay? The other thing that we really need to understand, and we would derive this from 1 John, is that God is love. He is the very embodiment of love. And so if you turn towards the back of your Bible, not John the Gospel, the Gospel according to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but those tiny little books that are hard to find in the back of your Bible because they're only like one or two pages long. 1 John chapter 4 says, where are we? Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love, and God is perfect in that love, okay? It continues to go, go on in this love of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, okay? And we could go on, but the important thing is that we hold these two truths and we've got to grasp onto them as we struggle with these things that, um, that honestly, the Bible doesn't just take on and really explain. We need to hold on to God's holiness and that he is love, Okay? The Bible assumes God. Did you ever think about that? That Genesis 1-1 doesn't start with, well, there has to be a God because we can't explain our existence without one. It, it's, it doesn't treat it that way, right? The Bible just starts off and says, in the beginning, God. It just assumes that he exists. The Bible also just assumes that evil exists. It assumes that, that evil is out there and there are some places where we could go to kind of dive into it, but it never takes this concept on head on to explain. So there are some, there are some real mysteries. There are some things that the Bible simply does not speak to. Where did Satan come from? When was he created? Right? We have some glimpses. We know right, that, that evil comes about when sin is present, and sin is present because people have believed lies, specifically Adam and Eve, questioned the goodness of God in the Garden of Eden and brought sin into our world, okay? So if, if we understand that God has um, created this world perfectly, but sin entered it through disbelief, all of a sudden we have two kind of categories of tragedy. We have what we saw in Vegas, where we have a personal agent just working out pure evil. 
right? And then we have the other type that we've also experienced here really recently where we live in this broken and fallen world. God cursed the ground, right? After Adam and Eve sinned. And so this outworking of just just the fact that we live in a broken and fallen world. We get hurricanes, we get earthquakes, we get tsunamis, right? There's not a personal agent, right? Some people are trying to, you know, claim credit for a natural disaster or, you know, but that's just silliness. We know that, that no one is responsible for a hurricane, that it was just a natural event, but it comes from the fact that we live in a fallen and broken world, okay? So we want to be sincere and honest about this problem of evil. We want to hold in tension the fact that God is all good. He is all powerful. Yet there is evil. There are tragedies. And most of our atheist friends or non-Christian friends are going to try to push you to say either God is not powerful or he's not good. It's got to be one or the other. And so some people have tried to solve this problem by either lowering the power of God or they would say God is not good so therefore he's not God. Okay, so when you get pushed into a situation where it's this one or this one, that's called a false dichotomy, okay? False dichotomy means that you're being presented with this choice or this choice, and you're presented as though you can't have any other way, okay? So here's a, here's a good example. Tom's not here to defend himself, so I'll, um, I'll pick on him. What if I stood next to Tom and I said... A man can either keep his hair or keep his metabolism. <laughs> right? So you got two choices. You can have your hair or you can have your metabolism, but you can't have both. And then Dean stands up. <laughs> and Dean's like, no, no, my friends, there's a better way. <laughs> right? So you've been presented with a false dichotomy, right? So what if God is all-powerful and he's all-good, but there is evil? He just hasn't set evil in its place yet. What if there's a third way? That God, for whatever reason, that the Bible doesn't really explain to us, is allowing evil for a time but he will solve it. There will be perfect justice. It's just not yet. And that's where we live. That's why this hurts so much is because we know that it was perfect. We can run back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, where on the, on the sixth day, God saw that it was all very good. Okay, Moses is writing this creation account using it like a mirror, and he's saying, look at all this goodness that God created because he is, in fact, the ultimate working out of being good. He takes goodness to the highest possible place that just emanates from his character, okay? And then it's no mystery that that's exactly what Adam and Eve question, is God's goodness 
in chapter 3, right? So we know somewhere deep down in our souls that that is true, that it used to be perfect. And what I want you to see is that the Bible is working in a circle, that God creates it all. It's perfect. And then very early on, it falls apart, right? And the rest of the Bible is working that out until it comes full circle in Revelation 21, okay? Um, Lori, can you put that on the screen behind me? I know I'm probably going out of order, but Revelation 21, way at the end of your Bible, we see that it's all put back together. Revelation 21, 9, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full Ooh, am I in the right place? No, I wanted to be in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So when you are hurt by tragedy, or if you are talking about this with someone, who either, maybe they are a believer, but they just don't understand. Maybe they're a non-believer. This is the tension that you've got to hold that it was perfect. It will be perfect. It's just not perfect yet. And we need to be honest about God's holiness and his goodness while being honest about our feelings in this time, okay? So that's kind of the philosophical end of things. That would be the ground that you would stand on. But what if you are just actually in the midst of tragedy, right? Answers don't do you any good there, right? You just need comfort. You need, um, it's, it's almost hard to say what you need, right? Because they don't, answers don't help you at that point. But what I do want you to do is to be un-American in that moment, right? As Americans, we run from pain. We want a quick fix. But I want you to be un-American, and I want you to dig into that pain. I want you to dive into that pain and let it affect you the, in, a, in a very deep way because it should when we're in pain, we ought to be thinking, it shouldn't be this way, because I know it wasn't in the beginning. I know it won't be in the end. But if we run away from that, usually it sneaks up to bite us, right? And we're almost getting in the way of God changing us, rubbing off the rough edges, right? Um, a pastor that I studied under went through a long time of depression and he had been one of these just go get them 
kind of guys. He was preaching on Sundays. He was teaching three Bible studies during the week. And on the weekends, like Friday nights and Saturdays, he was off at cities around the country giving conferences. And you couldn't pin this guy down because he was moving so fast. He was, in some ways, like Superman, right? You talk to him and he's like, oh, I just got done with my second quiet time of the day. And man, God is so good. But he crashed, went through this time of depression. His church was so great to him. They just gave him a sabbatical for like 18 months while he recovered. But his people saw that he was a better pastor after that depression because he could relate with normal people like me and you. All of a sudden, he was no longer Superman, right? Sometimes maybe we go through tragedy so that we can help somebody else out later on. I don't know. We don't always know why we're going through a tragedy, but we need to dig into the pain and we need to um, just allow it to affect us, okay? Flip in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, and, and this is what we're hoping to stand on in those situations. You don't need answers, um, but if you can... If you can take away one thing, it's, it's this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. It's, a, it's hard to describe how God comforts you in those moments. Sometimes he uses other people. Sometimes he just gives you a sense of peace, right? But oftentimes it's simply sitting still, waiting patiently for, for God to show up. And so if, if you are in that place, um, be honest with your feelings, cry out to God, and, and tell him that you are hurting. He's waiting for us, right? He's our Father in heaven. He wants us to turn to him in our pain, okay? So what if you're the friend of someone who is, is going through that um, or is in that place? And this is applicable to, you know, not just horrific tragedies, but to anyone who's going through pain, right? Um, I know that oftentimes Job's friends get a bad rap in the book of Job, but they start off really well. So turn with me to Job chapter 1. 
I'm sorry, Job, Job 2. You may have heard this verse before, but we'll, we'll start in, in 9 and read to 13. So the context there is that Job was this amazingly rich guy. It's all wiped away. And, and it's all been taken from him. And his wife says, verse 9, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Mm. Wow. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all of this evil that had come upon him, they came, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namanthite. Whoa. Okay. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And here's the key point. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Right? They start off really well. They just go sit in the ashes with him and keep him company. Right? They don't have any real answers. And the moment they start to try to give him answers is when they start to look foolish. Right? It's the rest of the book. They're, they don't know what they're saying. They don't know what's going on because they're not God. They don't have perfect knowledge. Right? So when you're the friend, right? show right? Like that's like 99% of the battle right there. Just show up. You don't have to have an answer. Just show up. Guys, I almost feel like I don't need to say that because this church does that really well, really well. Um, there There are people in this church because we showed up and then they got involved, right? Because it was different, right? But that's what we need to do. We need to show up. We need to be honest about the fact that we don't have any answers, right? That's a good place to be, right? But when you're there and you're not saying a word, you're just sitting in the ashes. Flip to Philippians chapter 4. And let's, let's look, where, look at what you should be doing, okay? Okay. Um, So in Philippians, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 9, we'll start there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Sometimes it's hard to do that, right? Let's be honest about that. Let your, reasonable, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's what you should be praying for your friend. You should show up and you should pray that even though you don't have the answers, maybe the answers aren't even in the Bible. There, there are so many whys that are not answered, right? Pray for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, right? There are times when understanding doesn't help us, but true peace from God does, right? Um, Paul also tells us in Romans 15, I'm sorry, Romans 12, verse 15, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, right? So let's take that role very, very seriously, okay? So you might know someone, I, I don't, you might know somebody who is truly affected by um, the just pure evil that happened in Vegas, right? I, I don't, I didn't know anybody at that concert. I don't have a friend of a friend of a friend. I, there's no actual point of contact. For me, this tragedy is almost completely theoretical. But I bet somebody in this room knows somebody, or at least is a friend of a friend of someone who truly was affected and you can show up and you can pray for peace okay um oftentimes that's the way that it works right we see tragedy especially in this digital age we see it from afar um and we don't know what to do when we actually know somebody who's in the midst of that tragedy we we don't know how they've been affected right but we can just show up and we can be there for them Okay. We really can live out worship by admitting that it shouldn't be this way. Okay? We really can hold in tension this idea that God created it perfect. He is going to put it back to its perfect state. And that it is okay to be sad. And it is okay to question God about how long will we suffer, okay? We see it in the Psalms. We see it in Habakkuk where we, we see the prophets writing and saying not, they don't question God as to why because they know the answer. It's sin. It's the outworking of sin. But they answer God or they ask God why, not, not why. They ask God how long. But that is a worshipful question because you've already taken for granted that God's going to fix it, right? If, if you're wondering if God will ever fix it, right, you don't ask how long, okay? Um, and as you deal with these tragedies openly and transparently in front of your coworkers or your friends or whatever, I think that that is a great place for you to be a witness, to say it shouldn't be this way. And I know that it wasn't always that way. I, I think our reactions show what we truly believe, 
right? And I think that even those people that are not Christians, that don't believe in the Bible, they somewhere down deep in their souls, they know it should not be this way. Yet they don't have an explanation, right? Um, They're not bothered by other natural phenomenon, but they would say that tragedy has always been with us, right? But they're still really, really bothered by it. And I think that this is a great place for us to step in and worship transparently by asking how long, right? We know it shouldn't be this way. So let me leave you in the best place. Let's go back to Isaiah 6. When we don't have the answers, we want to ultimately rest on God's holiness, okay? Isaiah 6, let's read from verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I, then I said, here I am, send me. So when we stand, when we rest in God's sovereignty and in his holiness, we are prepared to reach out to other people, right? It puts us in a humble place where we can, with humility, say, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. But I know that God is good. I know that he is holy. I know that things like this should not happen. But I also know that God has already promised to set it all back to perfectly right again. So as you guys are hurting, right? Just be honest right? Reach out to others. As we are friends of people that, um, that are hurting, let's just simply show up, okay? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you are holy. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can rely on you. We know that, um, that people are hurting. And I just pray that you would give us the opportunity to minister to them. 
Lord, I pray for the families of the victims as they are confronted with the very real fact of people that they love, um, their lives being senselessly taken from them. Lord, I pray for our families that, um, that are affected by these hurricanes. Um, Lord, I pray for our sister church in Cuba, that as they are trying to rebuild, that you would give us opportunities to serve them. Lord, I, I thank you that, um, that we can speak and act into these situations where your love and your mercy and your grace are so badly needed. Lord, I pray that, um, that as we interact with people around us, that we would do it um, in a humble way and in an honest and transparent way uh, that we don't have all the answers, but we're still deeply affected by the suffering of other people. Lord, be the comforter that you have promised to be. Help us to um, stand in this place and at the end of it all, love you more, that we would come out of tragedy stronger, that we would um, rightly order our lives to where we love you the most and we love you first. Lord, I pray that you would give us peace and that you would help us to, um, to just be honest with each other and the world around us about, um, about the pain that we endure. Father, um, bring our pastor back to us safely. And um, for all of those that are a part of our body who weren't here today, um, keep them safe. Bring them back to us soon. And Lord, um, we just lift up our, our dying and hurting world and ask you to help us step into this world and be a light for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.